Welcome to Footnotes, a legal podcast for students, by students, breaking down the law and all its complexities, one chat at a time. My name is Justin, but I won't actually be your host today. I'm just here for the introduction. The remainder of this episode will feature the fantastic Vivian. When we think of the best of lawyers and of legal work, we tend to think of pro bono. Pro bono publico, that is, work done for the public good, is a phrase most typically associated with the voluntary provision of legal services to persons unable to afford them. The work that lawyers offer on these bases is incredibly important to the community, helping those in need of legal assistance. And while this is what we often associate with advocates, many firms in Australia are proud to offer pro bono services and lawyers. This episode is brought to you by Clever Charts. This episode, we interviewed two lawyers at Clifford Chance who are intimately involved with pro bono work, Amanda Murphy and Alexandra Zhu. Amanda specializes in public international law with specific focus in a variety of fields such as international human rights and humanitarian law. Alexandra, working in commercial litigation and arbitration, co-leads the pro bono practice for Clifford Chance in Australia and leads the Race Equality and Celebrating Heritage Network, also known as REACH, in Australia. Welcome um, to the interview and thank you so much for joining me. Let's just get the ball rolling by doing a bit of an introduction. Amanda, why don't you go first? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Amanda Murphy. I'm a counsel in the international law and arbitration team based in Perth. Uh, so I started off my career not actually in the um, area where I am now. I actually started off um, doing MA and commercial work Um, in energy resources sector generally in Perth when I first left uni. And then I decided that I really wanted to pursue my passion in international law. And so I completed um, a master's in international law at the University of Cambridge um, in 2014-15. And then I spent um, a few years in London working in a boutique public international law firm there before coming back to Perth and joining um, Clifford Chance's international um, arbitration team here. So I guess I've kind of spanned um, throughout my career so far, sort of both ends, sort of the front end um, advisory work and and the back end dispute related work. And I think it's I've sort of got a full understanding from the pro bono perspective of how you can still do or undertake different pro bono tasks, irrespective of which sort of practice group you particularly um, sort of sit in. So um, we can talk. I can talk a bit more about the types of projects I've been involved in as we go on. Yep, definitely. Thanks, Amanda. Um, Alex, what about you? What type of work do you do at Clever Chance? Thanks, uh, Vivian, especially for having me here today. Um, before I get into it, I also wanted to respectfully acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on whose land I'm recording this podcast from today. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So as Vivian said, uh, my name is Alex. I'm a senior associate in the litigation and dispute resolution team at Clifford Chance in Sydney. Um, I'm pretty fortunate to be able to practice across a number of different areas. So they include commercial litigation, regulatory investigations, as well as international commercial arbitration. Most of my recent work has been in the energy resources and infrastructure, TMT and consumer goods and retail sectors. 
I also help to coordinate with the Chancellor's Pro Bono practice in Australia, and I also lead the REACH Network, which is one of Clifford Chancellor's diversity affinity networks that focuses on advancing race equality and celebrating heritage. So that's me. Wonderful. Um, you both sound very, very busy. Um, so how does Pro Bono fit into your daily work at Clifford Chance? Yes, I guess um, I can have a go at that um, at answering that question. So I guess in my experience um, throughout sort of all the different places I've worked, I've always seen pro bono as an essential part of my practice. So it's something that I view as being part of my daily work. Um, and, you know, at different times you can get busier and it's harder to sort of fit that into your daily work. Um, but that's something you can sort of manage um, yourself throughout, as you would with any other um, sort of other commitments you might have. So um, at CC, we've sort of tried to encourage people to, to do pro bono work um, and try to fit that into their daily work by um, setting a pro bono target. So we have a target for every lawyer to complete 50 hours um, as a minimum of pro bono work per year. And I think that sort of encourages everyone to sort of um, ensure that they do at least take part in some sort of pro bono activity um, throughout the course of the year. And in my experience at Clipper Chance, we're, lawyers are very much encouraged to, to take um, and get involved in a pro bono project. Um, I guess there's sort of two ways you can um, in, in sort of go about getting involved in a pro bono work and that can help you manage that juggle with your daily work and your other billable clients so oftentimes you may um an invitation will go out or a request for interest um, expression of interest to get involved in a particular project so if you know you've got um you know a huge filing or a huge deadline coming up maybe that won't be the time to sort of try and juggle those two um, pieces of work but if you've got a bit of capacity um, it's a perfect time to kind of put your hand up and get involved in that so that's just a practical way to kind of um, always keep an eye out for the pro bono opportunities but then only I guess take them on board when you know you're going to have the capacity to do them and kind of avoid placing extra pressure and stress on yourself to trying to juggle those. Um, I guess once we do get involved in a pro bono matter we, we treat it exactly the same as any other client work so from that perspective once you sort of made that commitment to, to take part and um, execute that bit of work for uh, a pro bono client they should really be treated in exactly the same manner as a, as a billable client and that's exactly what we do so um, our obligations as lawyers um, our duties and our ethics they, they apply equally on um, the respect of if the client um, is pro bono or a billable client client there should be no um, distinguishing factor there and um, you know having to keep the the pro bono client advised um, if there's going to be delays or anything that you need to um, speak to them about keeping them fully um, briefed on the status of their matter and how things are progressing um, applies equally to, to them so um, I, I guess that the final point I just wanted to mention was it can also be helpful if you want to juggle or fit um, pro bono work into your daily work is to perhaps pursue an area that you have some expertise or particularly interest in because it may often involve you doing um, some extra hours and hours on the weekend um, to try and manage that workload. Um, so doing um, something in an area that you're really interested in uh, or have a passion for. Um, we do a lot of social justice projects here and um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to get involved in those sorts of elements of, of, of uh, practice that you might not get the opportunity to do in your day-to-day -day commercial or, or um, commercial litigation practice. I really like that point about having the billable pro bono hours to help keep that commitment going and treating it the same as client work. Um, and pro bono can cover so many different areas. There is always a, a sector out there that kind of needs 
um, more extra resources and an extra set of eyes. So um, at Clifford Chance, um, are there any particular areas that you guys focus on, especially in the Australian practice? Yes, so um, around the world, our pro bono and community outreach program is focused on widening access to justice, finance, education, and the healthy environment. So one of the ways that we do that includes by working in partnership with NGOs who also share those aims. We think at chance that we can achieve more by working alongside and trying to enhance the capacity of those outstanding organisations who already have track records in making improvements in those areas. So being a part of an international firm, Australian practice often works alongside our other offices, particularly where we are contributing to pro bono projects for one of those global pro bono strategic clients. We also work with Australian-based NGOs or individuals based in Australia as well. And when it comes to improving access to justice, um, our practice aims to tackle the barriers that make access unequal. So for example, we support strategic litigation aimed at unlocking access to basic rights for minority groups and others suffering from discrimination. In Australia, we also extend this to advancing legal protection for animals. Some of our recent matters in Australia include providing legal advice and representation to those seeking protection or asylum in Australia, as well as working in collaboration with one of our global pro bono strategic clients to address judicial sentencing practices in sexual and gender-based violence cases in the Pacific Islands. And we also use our own resources alongside our financial legal advisory skills to widen access to finance, particularly in the field of microfinance. So we work very, very closely with another one of our strategic clients, Opportunity International, and we help them to provide small loans and other support services to families in need to allow them to generate sustainable income so they can lift themselves out of poverty with dignity. And uh, finally, in Australia, we also collaborate on a wide variety of um, education programs. So this includes mentoring young people as well as helping adults back into women. That's just um, an insight into some of the main areas we focus on here in Australia. Yeah, um, that sounds like a really broad range of matters from animals rights to access to finance, education, justice. Um, I'd love to just hear a bit more about specific matters that you guys have worked on um, throughout your legal career. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about a particular pro bono matter you've worked on um, and why it especially stuck out to you? Yeah, I guess it's really hard to, to choose just one. Um, I think each of them brings sort of different challenges and different experiences and quite diverse um, areas of law. Uh, but I guess one for me is um, a project I re was recently involved in and, and led um, in Clifford Chance for the United Nations Development Program. And that was in relation to preparing or drafting some content for a human rights self-assessment um, tool for, um, for conducting human rights diligence. And so for me, um, I guess it was two aspects that I really loved about it. Uh, one was that I got to get together quite a, a large team from Clifford Chance and it spanned across uh, all of our offices um, in the APAC region. So we had lawyers joining, about 20 lawyers in total um, from all levels of the firm, um, participating from Perth, Sydney, um, Tokyo and Singapore. Uh, and this was a really nice sort of collaborative um, opportunity amongst you know, our colleagues. Um, but then second to that, and most importantly, I thought it was a really 
great a way to be able to contribute our particular expertise in, in human rights and international law and put it in a, a practical um, uh, aspect and really um, use it, our sort of leverage our legal skills in a way that will give some practical benefit um, to people using the tool. So the idea was for um, the, the UN Development Program um, to release, they conducted training for a lot of NGOs and also sort of medium to small enterprises sort of across the APAC region, uh, mainly targeting uh, companies or smaller enterprises, NGOs, that perhaps don't have a lot of um, resourcing available to conduct human rights due diligence. And particularly even in Australia, we, we see there's the, the Modern Slavery Act now, there's a lot more emphasis on having processes and procedures in place to conduct human rights due diligence in your supply chains. And for a lot of companies, it can be um, small companies, you know, very daunting and um, you know, uncertain as to how exactly you go about this. So um, we really enjoyed the opportunity to, to draft um, for each, there was about 100 different potential human rights risks that we had identified. And then we drafted a brief sort of content and explanation how that um, human right risk might come about in particular industries. And that all got fed into a, um, a tool, which is an app. So it was available on phones um, or other devices where um, the companies could sort of plug in a few details and it would get them mainly to understand the process of how you conduct a due diligence. So thinking about, you know, what's, what industry am I in? What sort of risks are particularly pertinent? Human rights risks are particularly, you know, prevalent in that industry. What's the, you know, the, the chances? Is it, is, it, is it a low risk? Um, is it a very high risk in this industry? And then is it easy to remediate or are there difficulties with remediation? And when you sort of input those different factors, it would produce um, a report. So, um, you know, it wasn't something that would replace um, being able to you know, conducted a due diligence, but just a tool to help um, those companies and NGOs. And um, it was really great to sort of partner with the UNDP um, on that project and sort of get involved um, at that level um, and, and produce a practical um, outcome. That sounds absolutely incredible. Um, and I think for a lot of our listeners out there as students, we kind of hear a lot about how human rights is very separate to corporate law and it's either go into one or the other and it's very difficult to pursue both. So I love how your work um, gives you that intersection and that opportunity to go and find that intersection um, and pursue both of those passions at the same time. Um, I'd love to just hear a bit more about that. So um, you mentioned that you worked with um, people from Clifford in Tokyo and other offices. How was the process of working internationally um, with them and what particular role did you play in developing this UN training module? Yes, no, I'll, I'll, I'll um, attempt to answer the question. Then maybe I'll pass to Alex. I think she might have another um, fantastic example of, of some of the work she's been doing as well. Um, but I guess our main role was to work with the... Um, the lead um, human rights specialist in the UNDP to produce content. So for the apps, a lot of it was drafting and analysing each of the risks and um, producing an, sort of a headline um, statement which um, would be produced um, when you use the tool and then it would have a more fuller description which would be produced in the report. Um, so, for instance, there could have been... Um, um, you know, is there um, the chance of, um, you know, um, 
workers being um, unpaid, you know, not, not being paid their full wages in this industry. So you would sort of tag potential industries where that might be prevalent, for example, like agriculture um, or entertainment or um, those sorts of industries, manu- uh, garment manufacturing. And then we would describe what that risk would be. So we would, with reference to the relevant human rights um, instruments, so with reference to the sort of underlying um, the UN Convention um, for Civil and uh, Political Rights, um, or whatever the underlying sort of instrument was, we sort of referred back to that. Um, we also linked it with the sustainable development goals, which was another really cool part of the tool as well to kind of see how um, or dealing with that particular risk, you know, unpaid or low paid workers in an industry um, and can also translate to um, you know, achieving one of the, the um, sustainable development goals. So that was sort of, I guess, the, the main basis of our work was crafting you know, how that risk applies to a particular industry and what, and what that would involve and how you can manage that risk, what can be done to um, manage that risk and where to look uh, for further information. Okay, wonderful. Thanks, Amanda. Um, Alex, I'm going to pass to you. What particular matter has stuck out to you in the past and why? One of the matters that I suppose comes to mind is... Um, where I had the privilege of acting for an applicant for a protection visa under the complementary protection regime in Australia. Um, The matter, I suppose, captured most of the things that I enjoy about working in the pro bono practice. So as a litigator, my work can be extremely adversarial on a day-to-day basis. And it's a really positive change to be able to experience the collegiality of the pro bono network in Australia. So our team at Clifford Chance worked alongside counsel who were also acting pro bono. And it was one of those cases where you could just ring up your colleague from another firm to discuss the status of their comparative case and see what was happening with their clients. Um, In this particular case, it was also quite technically difficult as well. The applicant and his family had their applications for protection visas refused on the basis that the Immigration Assessment Authority did not accept that there were substantial grounds for believing that as a necessary and foreseeable consequence of them being returned from Australia to their home country, that there would be a real risk that they would suffer significant harm because they considered that the applicant would modify his behaviour. So our team brought an appeal to the High Court earlier this year and the decision ultimately was not in our client's favour, unfortunately, but it did at the very least clarify the line of authority that had not been settled before then. It's not, I think, often that you will have a matter that goes the way to an appeal to the High Court. And this is one of the things that have really stuck with me because it's also really reinforced the development opportunities you can also get on a pro bono matter. So with your pro bono experiences, are there any challenges that you have faced um, in the past and how did you kind of overcome them? Yeah. So there's definitely um, some different challenges, I think, when it comes to pro bono work. And it kind of depends on the type of pro bono work. And maybe I can illustrate by giving sort of two examples. I think one example is um, some of the pro bono work involves dealing um, a lot more closely with an individual um, than we may have when you're dealing sort of in a commercial or practice and you're dealing with a business um, or a sophisticated business. So some of the pro bono work involves dealing with um, individuals and often individuals who are 
under a lot of stress. They could, um, they're obviously needing to see a lawyer for some reason, um, and it can be extremely stressful for people to be in that position. Um, even and dealing with lawyers can be something that they're not familiar with. Um, and so there's those sorts of challenges I think that you need to overcome. And because we're not um, familiar with that in our day-to-day work, it requires a different set of skills, I think, um, to kind of be able to engage with those people and ident- uh, identify, um, you know, when they're becoming, um, I guess, too emotional or stressed and sort of have some um, ways to kind of deal with um, that sort of situation. Uh, and then I guess completely differently, um, in, in particular the work where we did at Clifford Chance, um, there can be sometimes a resourcing issue um, and that's another sort of thing to overcome. And I guess that's one of the things for, for the lead partner who's involved in the matter to sort of manage that. Um, we had a really interesting example, which I think Clifford Chance just managed amazingly, which was um, a similar project, um, an international project um, involving the UN um, Human Rights uh, and Environment Special Rapporteur. So it was conducting a project where we had to basically make contact with a lawyer from every jurisdiction in the world um, and ask them to fill a questionnaire as to whether that state, um, that country, recognised a right to a, a healthy environment in their constitution. Um, and so that, for me, was an amazing sort of a, a example of how um, <laughs> some of these huge um, international pro bono projects require a lot of organisation, a lot of resourcing, um, and a lot of time and dedication from some of the people involved. But it was fantastic to see the sort of collaborative efforts from not only our officers in Clifford Chance, but also reaching out to all these uh, individuals um, at different law firms all around the world. And just to kind of finish that off, a really sort of uh, touching end was one of the uh, firms that we dealt, we liaised with in the Perth office was a firm in Afghanistan. And um, just recently when the Taliban retook control, uh, the, the individual lawyer that we were dealing with actually reached out to Clifford Chance and asked us to um, support him in his application um, to, to leave the country. So I, I think it's a really nice example of how the work you can do uh, can also develop relationships um, across the globe and take you beyond um, what you might be used to um, here in Australia. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I really like that um, pro bono takes a more human element um, rather than like the black letter law um, and kind of dealing with corporate clients where feelings and emotions are quite removed. Um, And I find that really fascinating that you got to work on a matter in Afghanistan when it was such a hot um, issue um, recently. And it's, it's such an interesting thing that you can make tangible change for someone in their lives. Alex, what about you? What challenges have you faced in the pro bono matters? I think um, it's very similar to what Amanda has already said. I think one of the biggest like personal hurdles that I've had to overcome has particularly been when it comes to um, working with individuals. I mean, sometimes you can think that maybe sharing personal stories or maybe sharing your own reflections might make your um, relationship with your client grow a bit stronger, but um, there are I think always considerations to be had in terms of the fact that this is your client. Um, And as much as you may want to make a client um, feel more comfortable, particularly um, if they're coming to you in a time of need, um, always making sure that you have that like level of emotional distance, not only to protect yourself, but to also um, do the best job you can for your client. So that's been, I think, the main thing that I've struggled with is knowing um, where to draw the line between trying to make someone feel more comfortable and being really friendly with them 
and also making sure that you have enough of an um, emotional distance so you don't also get drawn into that matter because it can be very, very upsetting if you are acting for someone, for example, that's making a claim for life insurance under their superannuation policy and for that claim to be unsuccessful. And if you don't have, I suppose, that right amount of distance or emotional distance, you can also feel quite personally affected by that. And I think it's really important to just keep that in mind so you are always doing your best job for your client. Mm, Definitely a skill that's picked up over time and experience, but something that um, is really good to keep in mind when starting out in commercial law. Alex, so I believe you were nominated for the pro bono category for the 30 Under 30 Law Awards. Um, Why don't you tell us about that experience um, and which pro bono matters um, you worked on to kind of earn that? and that achievement yeah um I guess well at least I find it always a little bit awkward and uncomfortable to talk about yourself in that respect um I think it was a really great reflection on the pro bono practice that we have here in CC Australia because um we've also had uh, one of our partners in Australia also recognized as a finalist in the pro bono category as well her name is Nadia Kalich and our practice um, across Australia has also been recognised as well. And I think it also just really highlights, I think, some of the special and unique things that we can do in pro bono because of the nature of Clifford Chance, because we do tend to do a bit more of the global focus work that Amanda's touched on as well. Um, In terms of the recent matters that I've done, um, I've mentioned that we acted this year for an applicant for a protection visa, but there's also been... um, I suppose a lot of behind the scenes work that we do uh, to also support the NGOs that we work with. We um, were able to provide support to one of our other pro bono strategic clients um, known as Reprieve or Capital Punishment Justice Project in Australia. And they're a not-for-profit that works to advocate for the abolition of the death penalty. Um, And we collaborated with them and we hosted their World Day Against the Death Penalty event earlier this month. Um, So I think it's just, yeah, I think a really great reflection of what our practice does um, in Australia because I think it, the recognition at least does highlight that we get to do, I think, a lot of groundbreaking work in lots of different areas and the fact that it's not just one person that's doing everything here. I mean, there are lots of people within the Clifford Chance office in Australia that spend a lot of their time, um, as Amanda said, a lot of weekend time and a lot of after hours time just because they genuinely care about the work that we're doing. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And I think especially because it has such a human element, even though you try not to get invested in your clients, it is obviously very fulfilling work at the end of the day. And it is such an achievement if you're able to really change someone's life. Our listeners out there, I'm sure there are a lot who would love to get engaged um, in pro bono matters from early on in their career. At Clifford Chance, what opportunities are there for the more junior people, whereas um, for example, as grads, clerks, or even paralegals, what opportunities are there to get involved in these pro bono matters? Yes, I think as Amanda's already mentioned, um, the firm does expect that all fee earners will commit to recording at least 50 pro bono hours every year. 
So getting involved in pro bono work at Clifford Chance is very easy. And it's probably one of the best ways as well that junior professionals can get hands-on development at a relatively early stage in their career. As um, Amanda's also touched on, you will often have to manage the matter yourself. You will be obtaining instructions from your client directly and you'll be effectively setting the direction of them yourself under supervision of a partner. Um, so expressing an interest in working on a pro bono matter is really the first step as our team do circulate opportunities as and when they come in. Our pro bono practice also intersects quite well with our affinity networks, which include ARCUS, which is our LGBT plus and allies network, Accelerate, which is our gender parity network, REACH, which aims to advance race equality and to celebrate heritage, and ENABLE, which supports those with a disability, long-term injury or condition. And joining one of those networks is a really great way to also have the opportunity to get involved in pro bono matters. So as an example, um, our firms previously provided pro bono support to the Gay and Lesbian Archives of WA with respect to the storage of the only archive of WA's LGBT history. Um, we have also supported a global campaign conducted by the Human Rights Watch, which involved a multi-jurisdictional survey that analysed laws and regulations related to um, workplace violence and harassment, namely um, gender-based violence and harassment. So there's really countless ways for people to get involved. It's really just about putting your hand up and being um, open to trying new, new matters and new experiences. And maybe I can just add um, on just one more point on there, Alex, as well, is I think at Clifford Chance, we're also encouraged to, you know, spot opportunities. And if you if there's something, a, a, a project that you're passionate about, um, you know, there's definitely an ability to bring that to the attention of the people you work with and the partners and get that approved as a pro bono project. So, for instance, the, uh, the UNDP Human Rights um, self-assessment tool project, which I just described a bit earlier, that was actually brought to us one of our junior associates. She was um, looking through the, the UN website um, and it sort of came to us that way. So um, definitely encouraged for people to spot those opportunities and, and bring them to us as well. Thanks for that, guys. Um, and I guess ending on a more personal note, if you could talk to your younger self um, back in the day when you were just starting out in your corporate law careers, what advice would you give to your younger self? Alex, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, so I suppose it's not the end of the world if you don't get a clerkship or a grad offer. It's not the be-all and end-all. I know um, this can be a profession that can have quite high barriers to entry but um, I would just say try and get as much experience as you possibly can I mean I started my career in um, tenement administration which is like mining tenements and I have now ended up in international disputes so just take whatever comes your way mm, that's really good advice you never really know where life is going to take you hey um, Amanda what about you yeah, look, I guess I would definitely second um, what Alex said at the end there, which is really to take and seize every opportunity um, that's given to you and, and also go out and seek as many as you can because um, you can never really be sure where that opportunity um, can lead you. And it might not be somewhere where you didn't plan to take at the start or intended to take and didn't fit in with the, the plan you thought you would have um, when you left school. Um, but, you know, it might actually take you to the place where you were you know, truly meant to be. So I think it's important to, to follow those opportunities and follow um, your interests. Um, and, and I guess in terms of, um, sort of bringing it back to the, the 
pro bono element. I think pro bono work and also volunteer work in general can also be a great opportunity um, to explore some of the areas um, of interest that you might have um, that aren't specifically in a, in a commercial corporate law environment. Um, but it, it, it may sort of give some more enrichment um, to your, so your, or your overall practice. So, um, for instance, when I um, returned back from London, I really wanted to stay in the field of international law. And at, when I first moved back, I wasn't with Clifford Chance and I wasn't sure of all the opportunities that there were in public international law. Um, and, and by public international, I mean um, law dealing specifically with states and treaties and conventions between states. Um, so it was quite, a, I guess, a niche area, not something that a lot of people in Perth practice. So I kind of struggled with what am I, how am I going to keep this up? So I actually um, volunteered um, with the Australian Red Cross. I saw there was a, a volunteer position in the um, IHL department, which was the International Humanitarian Law Branch. Um, and it was an emblem um, protection officer, which meant I um, basically would um, spend a couple of hours each week. People could email in instances where the emblem of the Red Cross, the Red Cross was being misused. Um, and it's actually a breach of the Geneva Conventions to misuse the Red Cross on anything other than um, to do with the, the, the ICRC um, or the Australian Red Cross. So a lot of people um, in, in the general public don't appreciate that. So that was my job to um, send them some, some e uh, letters to kind of explain um, that, you know, you can't use the, the Red Cross. Can you please change um, to, for instance, a Green Cross and those things like that. So you, next time you're out, if you have a look around um, at the medical facilities, they're actually, you'll see that they're actually with green or blue crosses. So <laughs> I'm just a point of interest there. But um, I guess the point of, of that story was to show that um, by doing that volunteer experience, I could keep in contact with um, the, the area of law I was interested in. Eventually, I got a role um, at, at the chance in the international arbitration team. But since then, I've um, become actually a committee member of the IHL branch in WA. And now Clipper Chance is providing pro bono advice to the Australian Red Cross. A um, number of uh, events over the past few years. Uh, we did an event last year um, in relation to doing business in conflict zones. Um, and it was a guide that the Australian Red Cross launched um, with RMIT University. Um, basically explaining the rights and obligations of companies operating where there's a, an active armed conflict. So I think that's a really um, good example of how you can sort of keep it an area of passion and, and sort of do that on, um, on the side and eventually you can sort of um, work that into to the practice if you're uh, if that's where the path will lead you. Yeah, thank you so much for that. That is definitely amazing advice for our listeners um, who are just starting out and maybe don't know which area they want to go into. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with both of you.